0: You are tuned into The Dr. Tina Show with Dr. Tina Moore. For more, visit drtina.com. On this episode of The Dr. Tina Show, I'm taking a deep dive into a topic that you've all been asking for, long haulers. I've invited back my friend and naturopathic colleague, Dr. Amber Belt, for an in-depth discussion on what post-viral syndrome really is. You see, Dr. Belt and I have both struggled with our own belts of post-viral syndrome, and we fully know that long haulers is not a new phenomenon. With a combined total of almost 30 years in clinical practice, we've seen it a lot and we know how to treat it. And while we can't tell you how to treat it, we can share our clinical pearls and our knowledge. I hope this episode is deeply helpful to all of you. Let's jump in. Okay, Dr. Amber Belt, you are back on the Dr. Tina Show. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are going to talk about long haulers. We have, mm-hmm. I've had many requests about this, and you and I have been talking behind the scenes. You have been treating it actively in your practice. You've been treating COVID and everything else. If people haven't caught up, they should go back and listen to our episode that we recorded prior. I will link it in the show notes. Um, but let's talk long haulers because we as naturopathic physicians are really familiar with this concept, aren't we?
1: Yes, absolutely. I know... I have been, it's funny, I've been treating long haulers for 15 years, probably a little more
0: at this point. It's not, it's not this new mysterious phenomena. Yes, indeed. It is not new. Uh, Those of us who have suffered with it know this to be true. It's actually, I believe, you know, there was no name for it. I didn't know what it was, but it's what brought me to naturopathic medicine. I was trying to find answers for this chronic sort of state that I had been put in post- virus when I, you know, Mm -hmm. I I got hit when I was 19, had to get pulled out of school for the audience who knows the story knows, but uh, I'll just make it brief to share. When I was 19, I got cytomegalovirus, which is generally a very benign virus that most of the human population contracts and burns through. I was um, really sick my, I think, was that first or second year of college? And of course, I was vegetarian, I should say I was a cheese and mac and cheeseitarian. <laughs> I I was drinking too much. I was chain smoking. I was taking terrible care of myself. I wasn't sleeping. That was back when it was cool to not sleep at all. Um, I was really underweight because it was also the heroin chic 90s, early 90s. And I I was struck down, I went to the student health center. And I fortunately had a really smart female physician who helped me. And she, of course, most obvious cause might be Epstein-Barr virus, which causes mono. So they did a full workup for that. And they found cytomegalovirus in the process. And I guess my levels were through the roof. And so this was early 90s. And she said, Well, we only see this actually get this bad in people who have HIV. So we got to test you for HIV. And that was back when the HIV test was long and drawn out, like the results took a while. So I was, you know, Sitting in my, my room freaking out and turns out I did not have HIV. I just had a really bad case of cytomegalovirus, which means that my, I was severely immunocompromised for some reason or another and it attacks your brain. And I later went to work for Dr. Rick Marinelli, who's my mentor, and he shared with me that. All of the mental emotional problems I had been having were likely not necessarily because I was crazy, but because cytomegalovirus attacks the brain, which I did not know. Because, you know, the MDs were like, go home and take some vitamins, (laughs) Right, That was it. I mean, at least they They offered vitamins. Yeah, they offered vitamins. (laughs) I had to get pulled out of school that quarter. I mean, it was was a rough, rough, rough haul. I was never quite the same. But anyway, fast forward all those years later, I meet Rick and Rick tells me, actually, no cytomegalovirus has impacted your brain. And that's a huge reason why you're having all this crippling anxiety, severe depression. Um, I was underweight again. And I couldn't, I was like sort of in this chronic cachexia thing. I couldn't really pull out of people thought I was anorexic and doing it to myself. And that was partially true. But also, I just couldn't gain weight. And so on and on that went. And then fast forward, again, I got hit really hard with an influenza virus in the early 2000s. And uh, that one really messed me up. And I could not quite get out of it as easily as you would think. I've had a couple viral well, since all of this, like I get hit hard by viruses, let's just put Mm -hmm. it that way. So I'm very familiar with this. I came to naturopathic medicine, I've learned everything I can. I've also, you know, done some work with Dr. Paul Anderson on it through his conferences. So I've come to understand it well, as you do Mm -hmm. as well. And so I wanted to share with the audience, really, what is post viral syndrome? How are the word sequelae, I'm going to use that for the audience to understand it it means what comes after. So like if you were to look up sequelae influenza virus neurology, sequelae herpes virus, heart or cardiology, you would see, right, we have studies going way, way back. So what is what is this? What is this post viral syndrome?
1: So it's funny because <laughs> with COVID specifically, people think if they don't feel well a week after or two weeks after their infection, they're like, I'm a long hauler. And I'm <laughs> yes. like, no, you're not. You're just still recovering. It's okay. It's called convalescence. It's it's all right. Um, but, you know, a post-viral syndrome is going to be that collect, and it can be many different symptoms which I think is part of the reason that people who have post viral syndrom syndromes are so gaslit medically, but it can be this whole host of symptoms following your infection. And like for you, it sounds like a lot of yours was neurological, you know. And I like for I'm a I'm a long hauler with Epstein Barr virus, and a lot of mine. I my, one of my biggest tells is I get super depressed when my when my EBV is flaring, and I have some other symptoms too, but. Um, you know, for some people it's muscle pain, for some people it's headaches. I mean, it can be it can be all over the map. Brain fog, you know, all of those those fun things, but it is it's that collection of symptoms after you've initially had the virus that extends past, you know, your normal recovery period.
0: Yes. And that can be a, a while. I yeah. I have always, you know, in my 10 years of practice, I always I found a lot of people who had some kind of post viral sequelae happening. And I would always tell people after a bad bout of anything, give your body 90 days before we make any decisions or label you with anything. Just take really, really good care of yourself for the next 90 days, like it's your job. And then let's see what trickles out. Because what I'm seeing, and I, I think you'll agree, you and I have talked about this throughout the pandemic, we got gaslit, we got told we were crazy, we got called you know, all kinds of things, ignored, blown off. And suddenly the media early on in this pandemic started really sensationalizing post COVID syndrome yeah. and long COVID, as they call it, long haulers. That's all the same thing. They really started sensationalizing it. And we were getting hit on social media by all these people like, oh my God, what do you think? And like you said, if it's a week out and they're like, I have long haulers. Damn. And I'm like, yo, This is nothing new at all, which we've already covered, but it almost pissed me off, to be honest with you, because it was like, I was completely disregarded for decades, as were so many of my patients and so many people I know. And then suddenly, this is a thing that the media is driving fear with. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? I completely agree.
1: And I think they, I mean, I do think that they were using the long hauler to drive more people to, you know, comply with whatever they needed people to comply with at the time. Um, People were, even during Omicron, people were more, they were so terrified of getting long haulers from this mild cold bug that I'm, you know, and I would tell my patients, I'm like, don't worry. I've been treating this for, I think at this point, almost 20 years. I got you, you know, we have strategies to prevent this from happening or at least to do our best to prevent it from happening. And if it does happen, I've been treating it for so long. And yes, it has its special features that we need to address, but it's still a post-viral syndrome. It's not It's not super special.
0: Yes, it's not super special. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you saying that because that's. I think that that was also used as a strategy to get people to vaccinate.
1: Because Absolutely. they
0: thought, and I kept hearing that from people in my DMs on Instagram, well, I'm so terrified of the potential of long haulers that I have to get vaccinated. I'm like, yo, you're literally getting... Like, this is even during Omicron, like you said, which is a mild bug. I'm like, you're going to take a vaccine to a legacy virus, which is no longer in circulation, which at this point, a study that came out in the New England Journal of Medicine in March showed that the Pfizer vaccine, two doses at this point is only 8.8% effective Yeah. after five or six months of administration. So irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You're going to do that to avoid... A potential vi- post-viral sequelae that you could get from any virus. Again, right. put the words into Google: sequelae of, or you know, sequelae influenza. Any condition you can think Anything. of, I guarantee it'll pop up right at some yeah. point. This is we have studies going way back to the '80s. As I mean, that's as far back as I've looked. Um, so that's point number one. This has been sensationalized. Point number two is. How you enter into any sickness is going to dictate how you proceed through said illness and how you exit it, or if you exit it at all, alive. What This, this is the part I'm having a hard time with because people are saying, oh, my God, I'm terrified of getting long haulers. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how, what are you doing right now about your current health? Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about that. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I have a lot to say about this. Good. <laughs>
1: so I, but, and I, I know where I just know we're totally on the same page. I'll see. So, you know, as I start to see, okay. So my patients who see, see me and who've seen me through COVID don't generally get long haulers, but the ones that I am seeing come in, um, they're kind of funny. Like, you know, a lot of times they're, I'd say the majority of mine right now, at least are men in are like early to mid Maybe the late fifties, and they're like, "I was totally healthy going into this," and I'm looking at them, and I'm like, "You know, you're five eight, you're one eighty, and 30, at least thirty of those pounds are in your gut." We need to talk about healthy and what that actually is. You know, you can't be sporting a beer gut and think that you're going into an infection perfectly healthy. So, what I've seen is the same people who are going to do poorly with COVID itself, especially with Delta and Alpha. Are the ones who are gonna get long haulers anyways. Yes. Because they're they're yeah. And I have a theory, I know I have to track this one a little bit better because it's still kind of early-ish, but I think I think I'm seeing people whose whose uh immune system and inflammatory stuff got knocked askew by multiple vaccinations. I think they're having a harder time post-COVID too, like coming through it um in a healthy way because they went into it in a more inflamed state
0: these are folks that had the covid vaccine or other vaccines oh yes covid vaccine yeah mm-hmm. i'm gonna we're gonna get to that i have mm-hmm. a note to ask you because this is a con that's a whole other podcast i suppose right. huh Let's go back. Let's go back to what you said. Um, and it's true. What we are seeing in the data, of course, is a couple of things. One is those who are most susceptible to poor outcomes with the virus are also those who are having the worst long haulers and the most uh, long standing and severe. It does seem like severity of illness during COVID definitely correlates with severity of long haulers, but not always. I just. Looked at a study that came out, I think, gosh, on the 18th, I want to say, of March 2022, the showing uh, gray matter damage in the brain. And we talked about this off camera, olfactory, mm-hmm. primary and secondary olfactory regions of the brain. I just wrote a blog post about it. You guys on my sub stack, you can go check it out. It's called Long Haul Part 3. Um, there was no correlation between b- brain damage and severity of illness in three different studies I looked at. So I thought that was interesting. But when it comes to some of the other long haul symptoms, and in other studies, looking at just symptomology overall, including neurological symptomology of long haulers, it does seem that the most severe cases of COVID led to the most severe cases of long haulers, definitely a higher propensity in the obese and diabetic, which is the same Mm -hmm. exact group that you would expect to have bad outcomes with the virus. So yeah,
1: Yeah. and I think the other, now that we're talking through this, the other, the other thing that's notable is that my worst, okay, definitely the people who are hospitalized, who were hospitalized that I'm seeing have been tougher, you know, tougher to treat because they were more underneath the the viral um, infection. But the other, the other part is a lot of those people who got really sick and who have more severe long hauler are the ones who just um, were were in denial about what they had. And they didn't jump on treating that infection like they should have. Like they waited. They were like, I don't know. I was 10 days into it. And then I started not really not being able to breathe. And then I went to the hospital and I'm like, you waited 10 days
0: to treat? Oh, no.
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah. So that's the other thing that I see, too.
0: You make a good point. I, I was going to share this at some point, but this is a good time. We, you know, you and I have talked about this. I've talked about it on the podcast. I've talked about it elsewhere. We prepared for COVID. So like, we literally trained for it, right? Mm -hmm, Exactly. (laughs) Literally, (laughs) Yep. (laughs) physically trained, took the supplements, had the kit ready, had the I mean, I had my treatment plan written out in phases, (laughs) because (laughs) I really believe that COVID and you've probably seen this more than I because you're treating obviously patients and I'm not at this point. But phase one is really that uh, initial the viral load is in my head, this is the simplicity of it, right? This is like the Sesame Street version. In my head, phase one is when the virus is taking hold and replicating. And so keeping viral load at a minimum is critical, right? Um, they, that's where I really hit my ivermectin hard and my hydroxychloroquine mm-hmm. and all of those things to make sure that I, and the zinc and the C and the D, which I'd been on prior, right? I I, I, I do want to warn people, it takes a while for the, some of those things to get up to level in your bloodstream. So being on the nutrients, at least the C, the dink, zinc and, and D and C, and you can follow the FLCCC guidelines, but I'm not telling people how to tr- prevent, treat or cure COVID. You and I know this as just the regular, let's get on RC zinc and D because it's fall, right? Like, absolutely. (laughs) It's the naturopathic (laughs) way. Like it's fall, let's get nutrient replete. Um, So keep viral load down phase one. Phase two is really that inflammatory phase where shit can go wrong, right? Like day, Mm -hmm. I don't know, seven to eight through 14, really keeping a watchful eye, making sure that it doesn't this is when the cytokine storm and the, you know, um, respiratory distress and all, like you said, they're 10 days in and they can't breathe. This is when the shit show will often come down for people. So that first part, they kind of, like you said, blow off. And then the second part, they're like, oh my God, this is bad because their immune system has finally decided to kick in part of their immune system and sort of start to obliterate the scene. Um, I talk about that in other episodes. I think you and I talked about it on our last episode too. So I treated that differently. Mm -hmm. And then phase three was, now let's keep everything okay. I'm still thinking, you know, I had it early November, I still feel like I'm in phase three. This is the keeping Mm -hmm. myself, keeping my vascular system healthy. Um, A a big reason why I quit drinking in January, I was like, I cannot be inflaming my endothelium, keeping my blood thin with Mm -hmm. specific nutrients. Um, Just making sure that I keep my cognition and my brain health at maximum and doing all the things to promote wellness in those areas and not deplete myself in those areas. So have you kind of seen that clinically as well?
1: Yes, definitely. And I, I when I'll be honest, I haven't seen a COVID case since I don't know, I'm guessing like almost eight weeks at this point an acute case. Um, (laughs) I know, right. And treating Omicron was different. Like, you know, but with the Delta and Alpha, definitely those first five days, we did something different than we did on day five to, I don't know, I don't know, week like one, two to four. And then after that, you know, we would kind of, and then at that point, I'm trying to remember, I would have them run labs too to see like, you know, did they have inflammation? You know, did we need to clean anything up? And, And really start thinking about clotting and and things like that. And if I knew that my patient had, like for me, like if I I knew I had, you know, an Epstein-Barr virus infection that had, you know, that was dormant, I also wanted to check on that and make sure that that wasn't rearing its head, too. So, so yeah. you were
0: keeping an eye on clotting, you were keeping an eye on inflammation, you were doing hormones, the hormones. yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's mm-hmm. talk about hormones next. Uh, you were keeping an eye on just making sure that nothing long term was setting up because I have heard story firsthand stories from clinicians saying, yeah, you know, my patient didn't have the hardest time with COVID. But then six months later, she had a stroke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stories like yeah. that. So really making sure that cognition is not impaired. Yeah. Uh I think what too with that is people think neurologic symptoms and they think they've got to be overt but it can often just be fatigue, depression, insomnia, mm-hmm. you know, just these more subtle changes that people maybe yeah. don't put as much merit to and just think they're falling into a funk when really it's Right.
1: Yeah, they're like I'm stressed out and it's like are you <laughs> cuz your job's just like everything and cuz I, you know, because I know my patients, I'm like, everything else is the same in your life. You're not more stressed out at your job, your relationship's still good. Are you really that stressed out? Or is it, you know, is it something neurological?
0: I had pretty severe COVID brain. I mean, I I called it COVID brain. It was real. I mean, combo that with premenopausal or perimenopausal. (laughs) You know, that's I was like, well, I can't control the fact that I'm 48. And I can't control the fact that I have COVID, but I sure can cut the alcohol out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I mean what can yeah. I, what more can I do uh, aside from eat well exercise and all the things and j- just real quick to throw in another disclaimer we're not your doctors you guys we can't give you treatments so people are I know are going to email the show and say well what did Dr. Belt do <laughs> what did you know what 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 do we do what are the treatments we can't tell you what the treatments are you have to find somebody who's knowledgeable in this area and get help and I know that's easier said than done but uh, yeah, it's you set it off the air. It's different for each person, right? It is. I mean, I think the way that we as
1: naturopathic doctors practice, it's not like algebra, like condition A, plus condition B equals drug C. I mean, I'm looking at a whole person. And so what you get for your post viral stuff is going to be different than what I get, because we're not that we're just not the same, right? So it's very individualized medicine. So I think, I think speaking in generalities is the the best thing for us to do?
0: I had about 90 days of mm-hmm. challenges. So my brain fog was easily the worst symptom originally. Yeah. But like I said, I've been through this before. I was even joking with my strength coach. She, she, I was like, dude, you've seen me re- recover from viruses before. It takes a minute, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: there was definitely some shortness of breath that persisted. And we'll talk about the lungs in a second. Um, shortness of breath, uh, I still find that I get... Dizzy a bit easier, but that comes back to hormones, I think. So we can talk about that. I definitely was shaky in the gym, like I was not able to, my balance was affected and my strength was affected early on. But I knew because I trust my body. And I trust, the reason I trust my body is because I take such damn good care of it and I train Mm -hmm. it. (laughs) I can imagine that a lot of people are scared about all this because they don't trust their bodies because they take pretty poor care of themselves. And I take really good care of myself. So as best that I can with the resources and the time and the, and I have, we have a lot of knowledge. So we, we, uh, you know, I definitely admit my privilege here. My half a million dollar debt of medical school privilege. (laughs) Uh Exactly. Um, But I did, I, I did have these symptoms, but I knew I've had them before. I had them with a bad flu I had a few years ago. I had them with the bad flu I had a few years before that. Like She has been training me for seven years now, eight years. She's seen me go through this a multitude of times. And so I knew that it was... I knew I kept saying, I'm going to give myself 90 days. I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm going to give myself 90 days because I know in 90 days, I'm going to come through this. And also, I accept the fact that I might not be the same after. Like, I just knew that there might be some hangers on each time I have something like I'll get a particularly bad pneumonia out of nowhere, and I'll have some hangers on right. And Mm -hmm. I don't expect just like when we have a baby, we don't expect to bounce back and be exactly the same as we were before. And I think that some of the studies are also freaking people out because the studies are like four weeks out, right? It's It's too—it's like long COVID in eight hundred patients, and I'm like, dude, you—it's four weeks out. (laughs) Right, it's too soon. It's weird because I did a—I
1: mean, when I was a kid, I always had my nose in a book, so I read a lot of books, including a lot of books that were like old-timey books and set, you know, centuries ago. And like, as a culture, we've lost this concept of convalescence. And that's what those studies are missing. There has always been a recovery period expected, you know, culturally after someone was sick, but not in, you know, not in our recent history. And I I explain that to people all the time. I'm like, it's called convalescence. And it's a, we should allow our bodies to recover, but we just think we're going to get better instantly. And I think, you know, you said about, you know, you have a baby and you expect your body to not be the same. But, you know, we're told by our, our Hollywood stars that we should be bouncing back in a month and have that flat belly and be just exactly the same. And that's not how it is for us people who, you know, experience life, not on a Hollywood level.
0: (laughs) Yes. I love that you mentioned that and, and convalescence, we, you and I know, because we're naturopathic doctors, and we've studied naturopathic medicine history, there were whole places, there were whole centers that you would yes. go to to convalesce. They're, they were called yeah. sanatoriums. They sent you there when you didn't recover like everyone else. So you had condition A, you didn't quite snap out of it. So if you were rich, you got to go convalesce at the sanatorium. That's where Kellogg, that was a yep. convalescent center, basically, yeah. right? And so... Kellogg's cornflakes like that's where mm-hmm. that they would send you to a place in the mountains that would sun you and hydrotherapy you and fast you and feed you and adjust you and do all the things right and yeah. that was a convalescent center basically but yeah. we have completely done away from them or with them in society and so now you're just expected to come back online and if it's 4 weeks out you have long haulers right we're adding you to the data set
1: mhm and the we're adding you to the data set because it makes the numbers look better to scare you into into complying with vaccination essentially yes, yes, Which, that's not
0: ethical <laughs> no, no you I love that you bring this up because this is huge, and this I mean I used to want to one of my dreams was to create a sanatorium, like I uh-huh. wanted to own a place where people could come and I could get them better. I do a great job of this with dogs. I love adopting sickly yeah. messed up mongrels and then like fixing them and <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, making them have a better life. But like you and I know how to do this because we've done it to ourselves. We've done mm-hmm. it to patients. But but the message here to the audience listening is give yourself time, right? Like yeah. take yes. really good care. So I knew going into COVID, I personally think this was developed in a lab. I think we have enough evidence to support that statement at this point. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I do believe it was a bioweapon originally. I I think this for multitudes of reasons that we have the evidence to show, but also it was weird. It it was a a weird mm-hmm. sickness it was like unlike anything I felt before and I'm pretty familiar with viral illnesses um personally and it was weird my husband said it was weird everyone I've talked to said it was weird it was weird it's like it knew where to go to hit your weak spots right yeah. and I knew when this started I had a i didn't know I had a gumption that it potentially was a bioweapon and I I prepared knowing that I was going to get it. I shared that out on social media. We're all going to get this, right? Which now, yeah. now they're saying, yeah, of course we're all going to get this. But they gaslighted us then, and now they agree with. <laughs> it. I love that part. Like, there's probably like six things that are like, well, we know it didn't. The the vaccine doesn't stop transmission. We never said that. I'm like, oh really? Uh-huh. I have videos. Because. I have everything recorded. <laughs> right. I, I pulled all of it off the internet. But anyway. I knew going into this, I knew A, I was going to be exposed. I knew B, it probably came out of a lab to some degree and it wasn't completely natural. I knew that because also the furin cleavage site early on made me very suspect. And and C, I knew that I was going to have to, to contend with this. And oh, well, it is yep. what it is. If it long-term causes cancer, if it the virus itself, if it long-term causes these other sequelae, um, you know, well, fuck it. It is what it is. Like, what are you going to do? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know,
1: I I... It's been tragic to see people put their whole lives on hold because they're so afraid of the future, and it's like you know, yeah, you're still gonna all, get it, you're still gonna get it, live your life, you know, and just treat yourself as best you can, yeah, instead of pausing everything you know for an indeterminate amount of time.
0: well, those people are so far gone now though, like they're they're, lost, they're never yeah. coming back, they're never leaving their house and they're like, thank God for That's Amazon true. deliveries and everything else, because they're right. not, they're not joining society. I feel particularly bad for those people who have children, because mm-hmm. they have demented their children into fear of, for life. I mean, the OCD. It, this pandemic has really put a glaring light on the amount of mental illness and OCD mm-hmm. and um, just catastrophizing that the society holds. That, that everyone was sort of like percolating below the surface, you know? Right? Yeah. While I can't tell you how to prevent, treat, or cure long COVID, long haulers, or any other medical condition, I can tell you the systems that I'm trying to support when I'm looking either in my own health or when I'm looking at a patient who is suffering from some kind of sequelae post-viral, right? So without going too far into it, most notably, the systems that I'm concerned about are the neurological system. The hormonal system, including the adrenals and thyroid, the gut, COVID and other viruses sometimes like to really mess with the gut. Um, Inflammation in general, I'm trying to keep down. I'm interested in keeping their electrolyte balance in check. And I'm interested in supporting their mitochondria. So I have put a variety of supplements inside a page over on my store. It's store.drtina.com. And there you can click on the upper menu on a tab that says the long haul. Click there and you'll see a variety of supplements that I've got there for you. If you use the code haul 15 you'll get 15% off any of those products in there. Um, I've got resilience in there. That's my adrenal support product. I think that's just a no brainer. Anytime your body has been under any kind of assault or stress, I've got a product called bitch be gone, which is a general female hormonal support product that is for any age group at any time in the life cycle. I think it's a wonderful one for anyone who feels like maybe going through a viral sickness or any kind of sickness pushed their hormones over the edge. I've got a product called libido vitality, which is an androgen support product. It is a favorite for the ladies as well. Not just for men. We've got a GI rebuild product in there that is for gut support. First defense is for immune support. Beauty in a bottle is my newest product, and it is a collagen, an advanced collagen product that think of it as a uh, collagen generator for the joints, hair, skin, and nails. So those of you losing your hair, it might be worth supporting not only your brain, but your hormones. And then downstream, taking making sure we have the nutrients for healthy hair production. As far as the brain goes, we know that viruses like to hit the brain and can cause some neurological issues in some people. My magic triad always is Vital Brain, which is my Magteen magnesium product that crosses the blood-brain barrier. It is a crowd favorite for a reason. Brain Calm and Brain Spark, I like both of them. They do exactly what I Describe them as, and then my Ultra Omega OK, which is my favorite fish oil product, and I think of that as an inflammation response situation. I I always love to give out fish oil for a variety of reasons. I know some of uh, you have read that it can be problematic. I still believe clinically it holds a lot of value, and this one has three times the absorption of other fish oil, so you don't have to take nearly as much. So I think of it as a keeping the blood thin and reduced from inflammation and supporting the brain and the neurologic system. My favorite brain product right now is Just Blue, which is a methylene blue product. It's awesome. I've got a whole podcast episode about it you can listen to, about hyperbaric and methylene blue for brain support. And then keeping the salt balanced, right? Keeping our electrolytes balanced. I carry a product by Redmond's Real Salt called Relight. I love it. I think that getting your electrolytes in balance can be a huge game changer for just that dragging fatigue that a lot of people report. And then I've got a couple other things in there for mitochondria and inflammation. Again, store.drtina.com, use code LongHaul 15 for 15% off. Okay, so let's talk about this. Something I came to you with early and I said, hey, Amber, I'm, I'm hearing this online, are you seeing it clinically, is Okay, so there's hair loss, and there's mm-hmm. a, a variety of symptoms, but let's talk root cause for a minute, because we're naturopathic doctors, that's what we do. I think that people are sitting on the edge of hormonal imbalance or thyroid dysfunction in particular, because it's so common, clearly some adrenal, I mean, people's adrenals have to be fried after all this stress. Oh, yeah. So they're sitting on the edge of some kind of endocrine thing about to topple, Yeah, and then COVID hits them. Yeah. And boom, they go over the edge. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? A
1: lot. Yes. And it's interesting. I see it with long haulers and I've seen it a lot post-vaccine too. So there's, there's some parallels there, right? Um, I've seen a lot, I think, hmm, I'd have to, I'd have to sit down and look at numbers, but I've probably the most I've seen is the thyroid adrenal dysfunction, um, closely followed by female hormone disruption, particularly in my perimenopausal and postmenopausal women. Yeah. I, um,
0: I think it's pushing people into menopause.
1: It. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, I think so too. And, um, and I don't know if that's driven by, you know, just really whacking out the adrenals and messing up that whole cascade. I don't know. I don't know how to back up through that whole cascade of, of those steroid hormones to see,
0: you know, which is the egg and which is the chicken but I see it a lot. They might be. be, I mean, based on this blog post I released today, Mm -hmm. I I only pulled up three studies and looked at them. I mean, I pulled up a lot more, but I only went through the blog on three studies and there's brain damage happening. So it could Mm -hmm. be at the hypothalamic, you know, hypothalamic, pituitary, Pituitary. adrenal axis, like who knows what system's being hit, but it could be brain damage Centrally, Mm -hmm. it could be the message is not getting sent correctly because there's some kind of hiccup in there post viral, we don't necessarily know where the virus infects. So there's a lot of talk about the virus infecting cells directly.
1: So mm-hmm. we know
0: that the virus infects fat cells directly. We know that it infects macrophages directly, but there's still this, the neuro world from what I was looking at and the research, are saying, well, we don't have any proof that it infects brain cells directly, but it could, it's getting past the blood brain barrier. So right. who knows? So there's like, is the virus itself, is it the inflammation the virus is inducing causing the damage? Yes. Is it the virus itself infecting cells and messing them up? Yes. Is it the spike protein that is a known tissue toxin creating havoc? Because the higher the viral titers, the more spike protein. Also, the vaccine is a spike protein. It turns you into a spike protein factory. So the spike protein Mm -hmm. itself is tissue toxic. So yes. So we have like at least three. I mean, this is very simplistic, but we have three simplistic mechanisms right there of all the ways that this virus can, and any virus for that matter, can mess you up. So that's where it's like... Get your game plan on now. For those who didn't take getting healthy serious and thought it was just fine to get jabbed and eat donuts, they are in for trouble looking forward because we know this is going to circle back. It's these things are seasonal. Who knows what's coming next? Um, It's just been a real tragedy to watch people. Not only, I mean, it was one thing to be viciously attacked for the past two years for telling the truth, but more than that, I just feel sad for people who are in such complete denial over the absolute necessity for optimal health. Yeah, it's a it's non negotiable. I mean,
1: in my in my world in my life, like for me, it's non negotiable for me. But now the, you know, the whole country and world should be seeing that really going, not having these pre existing conditions is non negotiable, but getting the conventional world to recognize that is hard. I <laughs> I had a patient today bring me a letter from her primary care. She had some labs done and they send you this summary letter and they said <laughs> I had to laugh or I maybe would have cried. Your prediabetes is well controlled with your hemoglobin a1c at 6.1 and I'm like oh, in no. what in what world is prediabetes well controlled? Like and so there's that just still that lack of recon- recognition in the medical community that, to take these pre-existing conditions seriously and well i think yeah. it's
0: normalized because the doctors themselves mm-hmm. are a mess yeah most of point. the doctors <laughs> are a mess most of our yeah. colleagues are a mess mhm i mean That's if you true. if you go to a naturopathic convention in the pacific northwest the, there's a lot of unhealthy people if yeah. you go to one in Arizona or Canada, a much healthier crowd. I know because I used to speak at them and I was like, wow, this looks like a totally different group of people, yeah. you know? And so it's, it really depends on the pre-existing thing also showed up in the studies I've been looking at on this long hauler mm-hmm. series. If you go into this with pre-existing conditions, your chances of long hauler significantly increases. Yeah. So no matter how you slice this thing it's all one thing, right? It's all Mm -hmm. one thing. It's your health. And if your health house, this body, this flesh meat suit that we walk around in, if it's inflamed, if it's not well nourished, if it's not being slept and exercised and watered Mm -hmm. and taken care of, uh, it's it's ripe for the pickings, basically. Yeah. So it's not just the virus that we have to worry about. It's really this sequelae that we're going to see over and over again. And I feel terrible for the people who have been hit with this out of nowhere. But I have to ask, at what point do people think that, like, where do people, because I've been there, but I I caught it pretty quick. Like, mm-hmm. how do we not realize we're not healthy?
1: Yeah.
0: Like, Is it like a certain amount of weight or is it, I mean, do you have to get like the devastating diagnosis from the doctor to finally have yourself hit in the head and be like, oh shit, I have to do something. My health is Mm -hmm. out of order. Like, I think we're just missing this as a society. Like people don't seem to have this instinctual understanding that like, I don't feel well, something's off. I need to eat better, sleep better, move better, Mm -hmm. like basics. And people say, oh, well, we're not wealthy or we're not this. It's like, no, this is fucking basic human behavior. (laughs) This is not... you have to sleep. I don't care
1: if you're a millionaire or a dollar heir. Like, yeah. <laughs> sleep is essential. You know, Movement's essential.
0: All the millionaires and- I know ta- know that they can't be millionaires and maintain millionaire status unless they take really good care of themselves too. Like, They're probably the most disciplined people I know. That's why they're millionaires mm-hmm. because they're so yeah. disciplined. They don't drink. They don't mess with their sleep. They don't burn the candle at both ends. They don't eat bad food ever, like they are so disciplined, because their entire business depends on them having an, a, you know, a an amplitude of health. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think people too, you know, they, I think that they live under stress, and they let that guide their decisions. You know, they, they eat poor food, or they don't move because they're too stressed out. Um so I talk to my patients a lot about changing their response to stress but I also think that that living like right on the edge of stress there or right on the edge with their stress is what tips them over hormonally once they get the infection and then a lot of my patients my female patients if they're in decent health and their periods let's say get thrown off and they're having two a month or they're super heavy or something for my healthier patients you know I usually tell women give it 3 cycles you know, 90 days, like you were saying, and let's see if it shakes out. For most of them, it'll shake out post-COVID. For some of them, especially perimenopause, because our hormones are so, they're just kind of, they're changing, right? They're funny. They're funny. (laughs) Yeah, they're sensitive little hormones. They, you know, it can be a little bit longer recovery process, especially if I'm dealing with a woman who's just for ride or who's pre-diabetic, you know, because insulin comes into play and, and that whole inflammatory mess will it will alter your sex hormones oh yeah.
0: yeah yeah you you insulin resistance you guys and metabolic health are so the virus itself i figured i mean i was you know i was trying to like i was ranting and raving about this at the very beginning the virus itself infects pancreatic cells It induces – anytime you get sick, your body goes into a low-grade diabetic state because it's trying to produce glucose to save you, right, to like give fuel to all the cells to function. And so not only does COVID, the virus itself, induce a low-grade diabetic state, so anybody walking in the door of a hospital is going to start having blood sugar dysregulation. If they're they're sick enough to make it to the hospital – and they really need to be there, they're not just panicked, like really need (laughs) to be in the hospital. Um, They're probably going to have some like, weird dysregulation of their blood sugars already. But if you walk in there already having been in a pre-diabetic or diabetic state, it just really, really compounds and gets bad fast. So diabetics, we're talking type two and type one here, diabetics Mm -hmm. have a much, much harder time with COVID because of this blood sugar dysregulation. And just to note, I often get attacked by the type ones, which is weird. They think I'm not acknowledging them. And they're like, no, you're just talking about type two, do not include us. And I'm like, no, actually, I am including you because the data is there. Like type ones have just as bad of a time because Mm -hmm. of this blood sugar piece. And coming out of it are going to have a harder time because this virus itself can directly attack the pancreatic cells that make insulin. And so and the inflammation, like you said, compounds the Mm -hmm. whole thing. But the interesting thing about type ones that I read, some doctors were saying, that they're having a hard time because the type one diabetics, if they got sick enough, would enter into hospital and not bring their insulin with them. And controlling their blood sugars with the insulin that they're currently on is so critical. But often the hospitals don't carry all the different types of insulin. So they would not only have to convert them to a different insulin, which can be very challenging even in a healthy state for a type one, but they'd have to do it in the middle of be, their bodies being under siege from this virus. Oh my
1: God.
0: So a warning that I tried to put out early on in my emails was if you're type one, bring your insulin with you if you have to mm-hmm. go to the hospital. And I would say that for any type one, for any hospital trip, not just with COVID, like always bring your insulin with you if you're going to go be have to be sick somewhere in a hospital because you don't want them to have to convert you Mm-mm. while your oh body's gosh. under attack and trying to heal itself. So I thought that was really you know, a challenge too to be addressed. But yeah, like, mm-hmm. and your metabolic health and your immune system are two sides of the same coin. So if Definitely. we're, if we're talking metabolic health, and all of the havoc that this virus can wreak on it, and you're walking in already metabolically unsound, which is 88% of America, right, we see the problem. Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Yeah. And it's going to cause problems post COVID, like, mm-hmm. you are going to continue to have challenges as you exit the the virus, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, you have one person who's metabolically unhealthy here. One person's here. They both get hit by COVID. Well, who's going to recover better? The one whose health is down here? No. I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think it's reasonable to expect it, but we expect it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. They, people think that it's like the messages we get. Well, my, you know, my whole house had COVID, but I didn't get sick. And my son did. And then my mm-hmm. husband got really sick. And why did that happen, Dr. Tina? And I'm like, did we lose all common sense? Because like, if this were the flu, that wouldn't even be a question, right? Mm-hmm. It wouldn't even be a con most of this stuff wouldn't even be a conversation. And whenever I share that kind of content on s- social media, I always get at least a dozen people saying, well, it could be different for this particular strain of virus. And I'm like, no, people, we understand coronaviruses right (laughs) it is not an alien that dropped out of the sky yes maybe there are components of it that came from a lab however physiology and immunology still stand right right they don't
1: yeah they They, they don't change
0: this this is why natural immunity is actually a thing right it's it's they want to just like argue that this virus must be some kind of weird alien and so all bets are off and i'm like no no (laughs) no
1: It's like we have to forget everything we knew about science and follow the science. And it's just, you know, the, that religious sciency thing that's happening. It's really bizarre because, I mean, treating it, I mean, I've been treating it since this all started and, pre, you know, during the infection and after the infection, it's so similar to other viruses. You just have to learn its particular quirks like I would with any virus.
0: It's not – like I said, it's not super special. It's not super – yes, we need that on T-shirts, Amber. I do. It's <laughs> COVID-19 is not super special. We've we just really no, made it that way, anxiety. and that's why society has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so check, check this out. Uh, a study came out this – I don't know, gosh, in the last week. It's what got me to go to Substack, actually. I wanted to write about it. They looked at the um, – increases in death rates of COVID-related deaths in all age groups. And they found that those like 15 to 16 up on to 55 years old had on average about a two to three times death rate from alcohol-related deaths over COVID deaths. Two to three times more people died from alcohol-related deaths that were young people. I'm going to call that group young versus older, yeah. once we get to 55 and older, they it seemed to be on par one to one. And then of course, in the much older group, it it, it the COVID one, the, the death rate, but um, yeah, also, this was a jump of about 40% from 2019 to 2020. So it really yeah. tragic. And if we look at opioid overdoses, from fentanyl, and suicides and domestic violence, uh, I think we can pretty assuredly say that lockdowns were a uh, catastrophe that's my again my opinion but
1: yeah and then i think we're gonna see it compounded i don't know if we'll ever i mean i'm not gonna lock down again but i don't know if people will but um because we've clearly been shown they're not effective but then you have you know the isolation the self-medication and then you have all these people with possibly some post-covid brain inflammation and brain damage that you know that might lead them to make poor poor choices
0: yeah you know yeah and then add to it the weight gain and the increase in diabetes i mean what we've seen like a 30 to 40 percent increase i can't remember the exact statistic in children in the u.s and diabetes yeah so which we you and i just very clearly and i have whole podcast episodes about this but like we have very clearly just shown how metabolic dysfunction leads to poor outcomes with not only covid but post covid yes Mm -hmm. all right so let's talk about uh we we covered neurologic we covered hormones we covered the interplay Mm -hmm. of pre-existing conditions into it what about lung symptoms
1: so lung
0: symptoms um yeah those can be really
1: persistent really annoying um and people can be on oxygen for a long time after they've had their covid infection um I have found that a lot of my folks who have the persistent lung stuff actually have a reactivated either mycoplasma pneumonia or chlamydia, chlamydia pneumonia infection. It the chlamydia one's not the sexually transmitted disease; it's different. Because <laughs> my, I'll tell patients that, and they're like, "What? I didn't." And I'm like, "No, no, no. It's it's a pneumonia.
0: I swear. <laughs> I I don't think you're like." It's the most I, common community yeah. acquired ca- cause of community acquired pneumonia, yes. you guys. It's- <laughs> Yeah. It's not, it's,
1: that doesn't mean you've uh, been promiscuous or anything like that. Um, but I have found a lot of those reactivated infections. So we'll do, you know, treatment wise, I'm going to treat, I'm going to go after that infection. Um, so we go after it with um, medications, we go after it with supplements, IVs, and then I'll use nebulized um, nutrients as I well. have
0: had my nebulizer out at least four times since recovering, full recovery from COVID. I used it extensively during COVID. You guys, I will link my um, COVID cheat sheet, my winter is coming cheat sheet, along with my blog post that I'm writing about how I treated myself through COVID. Uh, it doesn't give specific dosages or recommendations, but I'll let you know naturopathically how I supported my system. I, that nebulizer has been my BFF. And just saline. Mm. And I'm I'm happy to say that I know that that sounds like I, I guess I could get in trouble with the FDA on this or the Department of Justice, but just nebulizing saline in general, is something I have done as somebody who has bad lungs. So I'm not saying this in relationship to COVID. Yeah. But in general, uh, saline packets are available on, on Amazon, little sterile packets, nebulizers are cheap. And so if whether it's hay fever season or Um, I'm having some kind of winter spell of something, or maybe I might get exposed. I've had that too, like during the wildfires that we have in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. I've done it after they've sprayed the fields with glyphosate. (laughs) Um, I keep that nebulizer close and handy and I use it often And I just nebulize saline like it's going out of style. No medications, nothing else, just plain old saline has been, it's like a salve to the lungs and it allows Mm -hmm. me, it allows my lungs to start to calm down, but also to expectorate. And so I have used it extensively. I use it when I get sinus troubles. I mean, I am a huge fan of saline nebulize. I, people ask about hydrogen peroxide and all these other things and we can't talk about that for legal reasons. Yes, we do use all the things too, but I have found Anytime I put anything besides saline in there, it can almost be irritating. So I have really fallen in love with just good old saline nebulized. And that's a trick that I learned a long time ago, (laughs) you know, for just like I said, any kind of I just always had picky lungs. They're, They're just funny, even when I was a little kid, funny, funny lungs. And so when I discovered a nebulizer in my adult life, it was one of those like, why didn't I have this as a kid? Like, what an inexpensive, wonderful thing to have. And each person in the family gets their own cup. So you just need one nebulizer. Everybody gets their own cup. And it's just such a beautiful, simple um, therapy for people. It is. Yeah.
1: It's funny that we can get in trouble for talking about salt water.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Bring it on. I'm at this point, but I'm like, really? Right. that's that. You guys are going to waste money taking me to, to investigate me over that? <laughs> about salt water? Um, yeah. I, oh, go ahead. And I think... Th- as they, I think they used to send people to convalesce at the seaside. Sometimes. Exactly. That's yeah, exactly yeah. my point. There are also my mom has this little gizmo that's like a ceramic container that's shaped like a stove pipe, I guess. I don't know. And it has salt in it, Himalayan sea salt. So I just replace the salt in there and breathe that in. All it does is suck the oxygen through the salt or the air, the mm-hmm. ambient air through the salt. And so you salinate your lungs. So, yeah. Um, the other thing that I have found, and this is has nothing to do with COVID also, is and this is just from years of getting repeated pneumonias. And boy, I've had some rough pneumonias. Um, just walking pneumonia, you know, that turns into something persistent yeah. and horrible. Oh God, and I've had acute, really bad pneumonias. And I've had a lot of bronchitis. I had... I grew up in a, let's just say this. I grew up in a house with two chain smokers inside the house. I love my parents. They finally quit smoking and they, first they started smoking outside, then they quit smoking. But I grew up in a, you know, the car, there was, the windows were always down and one parent was always smoking. So I've just always had lung issues. And so again, this is a lot of these things I'm talking about, I've always done. But the one thing that's gotten me over the lungs, I believe, and I, there is some data on this so the lung cells themselves get infected the original alpha and Delta and the earlier strains like to infect the lower lung cells and Omicron definitely stays Mm -hmm. in the upper lungs, which is why it's so such a more mild condition for most. Um, The lungs get fibrotic, right? They've just been like. Not only do they get like mycoplasma does a number on lung cells, right? It gets in there, it makes them leaky. All of the infiltrate Mm -hmm. of the immune system comes in, starts throwing their bombs around. I mean, you're basically your lungs melt a little bit, and then they become fibrotic. And this is the only time that I will ever you'll ever hear me recommend cardio. right? (laughs) But cardio is what gets me out of it. That's what got me over COVID too. I got to start running, sprinting, riding my Peloton, getting a good cardio in, then I nebulize and then I hack my lungs out. And yeah, I get it up and out. And I have found that a persistent um, just use of that has been really, really helpful Mm -hmm. in getting my lung capacity back. Yeah,
1: and I tell patients too to move, because they think they get, you know if they get out of the hospital and they're on oxygen a lot of times they're terrified to move, and you know oh my god it you know it dropped my oxygen and I'm like it's okay you know just go gentle at first and then slowly but surely ramp that movement up because you got it you have to expand yes. those those lungs otherwise they're just going to stay stuck together. Like, that. yeah, because
0: when things get inflamed, they glue <laughs> and up and then they get it's fibrotic. Gummy. And it's a, yeah. yeah. You're so right. Walking that that's key. Walking. And then slowly increasing that. I'll tell you a trick. I got them off Amazon. And again, this is not tr- prevention treatment or cure of COVID. This is just post lung problems. Um, cans of oxygen you can just buy the can which I'm sure you're familiar with because you live in altitude Mm.
1: those cans (laughs) of
0: oxygen just saved my life so I had one in my car I had one every time I went out for a walk um I we took one finally when you or when Zoe and I my daughter and I were in Arizona visiting you we ended up in Sedona we found that getting a can of oxygen really helped both of us on our hikes there so getting that can of oxygen, I had one stashed everywhere. I think it's like 45 bucks for three of mm-hmm. them or something. I had one everywhere. So anytime that that dyspnea hit me, which I mean, it happened post COVID when I was driving, all of a sudden, my lungs would seize and I couldn't oh, breathe. Man. And I'd have to pull over because I thought I was going to wreck and I would start like crying because I couldn't breathe. And so a uh, tank or little oxygen canisters over the counter, you can buy them mm-hmm. at Walgreens in some places. They're stashed everywhere. <laughs> So one was in the gym with me when I was working out. Like, Mm -hmm. I just take a few hits off that. I'd be good. i keep going.
1: Yeah. And I think I had one patient who actually, one of my long haulers, who was pretty active before he got hit, and he was dying to go back to the gym. And that's what he took with him. Um, He had that and his his O2 monitor so he could just kind of watch himself and know when to, he was really smart and knew his body pretty well. But um, I think for a lot of folks, walking is a great place to start because a lot of those people, like we talk about being metabolically unhealthy, probably weren't, definitely weren't the fittest going in, you know, so just getting them to walk even a block can be huge in getting their lungs to open back up. Yes, and
0: move the lymph, get that muck out, Mm -hmm. move the blood, really tonify that cardiovascular system that has been, that's the other part that uh long hauler seems to be hitting, right? Which we don't have a ton of data on, but it's definitely wreaking havoc on the endothelium of the yeah. vascular system, which is the inside layer. Ha- have you seen a lot of, aside from inflammation, have you seen clotting issues post COVID and post vaccine? I haven't seen many clotting issues post COVID. I've seen a lot post vaccine.
1: Um, I honestly, I would say I, I've seen a lot more post vaccine, but I do measure... You know, I'll measure markers like D-dimer and fibrinogen and, you know, those clotting markers post-COVID. I'm, and if my patients are willing, I'll measure it post-vaccine too. And, you know, if they're elevated, I definitely want them on something to help their blood thin out so they don't throw a clot and have a stroke or heart attack. Yeah. But I've I've had patients have strokes post-vax. I haven't had anyone, knock on wood,
0: um, have a stroke or heart attack post-COVID. Yeah. Uh, I found sauna to be really helpful.
1: Yes, hugely huge. helpful mm-hmm.
0: because that, not only for long haulers, but just recovery from COVID, right? So the walking yeah. and the sauna were huge for me because the sauna can mimic that cardiovascular workout without working out, right? It's exercise without exercising, if you will. And so that's decreasing inflammation, inducing heat shock proteins to help you get over. The sauna was like, I mean, we were in the sauna a few times a day during COVID. And then I have just been pretty religious. We both have been very religious about it. My husband and I sense just to keep that vascular system healthy.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm actually trying to bring a sauna into my clinic, you know, part, part of it's to help people recover, but I think, too, if you have, like, one of those reactivated infections, another benefit of sauna would be, you know, like, kind of artificially stoking that fever is going to help your immune system clear that kind of stuff out more quickly, yeah. too.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, sauna's key. And, you guys, I'll put my sauna links in the show notes so you can check them out because I am – you guys can get a discount on my favorite saunas. I I love my saunas. I have different ones for different reasons. <laughs> So I I can't get enough. I love sweating and I love getting hot. And I am very proud of myself because I planned for COVID and I got my my husband got hit harder than I did much harder for a hot minute. And I really worked hard to get myself, you know, ready for it through it. And then what I was sharing with him the other day is I was like, dude, you got to give me a high five, you have, you are not incapacitated in any way, shape or form. Because when he was laying there curled up and looking like a skeleton, like in the throes of it, I remember distinctly thinking, having a little bit of fear creep in, which I try very hard not to do. But he is a hard worker, like physical labor. He loves, he loves it. He loves physical labor, the harder, the better blue collar guy to the core. And he's really fit that way. He's got like farm strength. And I remember having a moment of fear thinking, I really hope he doesn't get any long haulers that latches onto him and And ruins this for him where he can't perform physically at the level that he's accustomed to because he really, much like my dear mentor, Rick, who passed away from cancer, really prides himself in his physical capabilities. And so I was worried that that was going to be a thing. And I literally shifted gears in that moment on his treatment plan. And again, I can't share details, but I shifted treatment gears to make sure that there were no sequelae. Like I was like, no, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm not having, and I wasn't, I wasn't thinking, oh gosh, blood clots down the line. I was thinking right now, like I need my baby to get up off this couch at some point in the next week and be able to labor the way that he's accustomed to laboring and do his work the way that he's used Mm -hmm. to working. Because I think that would have been the most devastating thing, which I I say this because I know this to be true for many people who are messaging me saying like their whole lives have been destroyed. And I want to share a bit of hope because yes, what I did in real time for him in that moment made a huge difference, I'm sure. But and he also has an incredible vitality and immune system. But there's always hope, right? We can take people who are I didn't find naturopathic medicine. So I was 10 years into almost 10 years into long haulers, Mm -hmm. right? So I guess a little bit less, if I do my if I can't do math. But I mean, I was a long way into it. And I got turned around. There's hope, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, that's one of the things that gets me sometimes as they they the media paints this bleak gloom and doom picture of you're going to be stuck with these symptoms forever when the reality is at least in the studies I've been reading most long hauler symptoms resolve in a year we can certainly help speed that along if we you know if we believe in long haulers Um, and I think it's important for people to you know if you are experiencing long-term symptoms to really advocate for yourself because I think one of the reasons the conventional medical world has so few tools for these post-viral symptom symptoms is because they they spent so long like gaslighting these poor folks with with like uh fibromyalgia chronic fatigue those types when a lot of times those are post-viral um from Epstein-Barr cytomegalovirus or other you know other different infectious agents. So there's a ton of hope. I think you just have to seek out a provider who is willing to you know to address the root cause. Yeah, of and it's
0: yeah, we have talked about IVs and we've talked about different therapeutics, but let's just break this down basically for the person at home. Let's say they can afford to get a sauna. So I've got sauna options in my that I'll share that are 500 bucks and I've got sauna options that are in the thousands. So say somebody has the ability to access a sauna, they can fill some water jugs up with water or sand to make different mm-hmm. sized weights. Wait, and they uh-huh. have the ability to walk right? Because I know somebody, somebody inevitably says, what about the quadriplegics? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm not a expert at quadriplegics, but for, you know, a quadriplegic is going to have their physical therapist. Who's going to be awesome getting them through that for the most part. So for your average show that can ambulate (laughs) and walk, uh, let's talk about the basics, right? What are they? Yeah. Well,
1: eating actual food and not food-like products, right? So I know you and I talk about eating food that looks like it did when it came from the farm, um, you know, the, the less processed stuff, um, moving every day. And it doesn't, you don't have to be hitting the weights hard every day. Like you said, you can be walking. And I, I follow a similar, I think, similar workout routine to you. I lift two or three times a week and then I walk or I, I skate um, the other days of the week. Um, yeah, I think staying hydrated is important too. Um, I live in desert land, so it's always a struggle up here. Okay, so we talked about food, we talked about movement. I, you know, I think I think if people could sauna a couple times a week, that'd be great.
0: I think that's a really <laughs> quick way to turn one, one's lights on. If I could give anybody yeah. a piece of advice on like the fastest needle mover to get your lights on and your instincts on, so then you know what to do next. And everything else feels mm-hmm. like less of a hurdle is just start saunaing regularly. And I have a whole episode about sauna you guys can go back and listen to. I'll, I'll, I'll also put that in the show notes. Um, it doesn't matter. It's not contingent on like temperatures and times, right? It's what the person can handle. Yep, exactly. And
1: I'll even tell people if they don't have access to a sauna, I'll have them get in a bath. And, you know, if they need to sweat and they can't, work out that hard they can they can sweat in the tub yes. for sure sweating
0: <laughs> and I, G- getting yeah. hot and yeah getting sweating.
1: it's it seems it almost seems too simple it's like we've made things too complicated you know um and I think sleep is huge and I know for long haulers sometimes sleep can be a really real challenge because maybe your hormones are all weird and you're, your your cortisol spiking at night or you're you know or you're a woman and you're you're, you're having hot flashes or you're having some shortness of breath. But as soon as we can get – the sooner we can get the sleep sorted out, the better. Yeah. Because you're not – your body can't heal without
0: sleep. Well, to that I would say – and I, this is whether someone's been in a traumatic injury uh, or, you know, accident or they've been very sick with something. I always promote some kind of adrenal supportive mm-hmm. product during the day. And that will often – start to regulate out their adrenal, the hypothalamic pituitary axis, adrenal axis. And then that often helps sleep, I found. Yeah. So it's it it's does. not a treatment for sleep. It's not a treatment for adrenals. It's just let's tonify the adrenal system. Salts can also be helpful. I have a great product yeah. called Resilience. It's my adrenal product that's in my uh, personal line. I love that product. I'll give you guys a discount on that in the show notes as well. But, resi- you know, adding some adrenal support, it has a little bit of glandular in there, There, adrenal glandular, I think is really helpful. And then that will oftentimes get sleep to become more regulated. Not always because sleep yeah. is complicated, but it can help keep that cortisol from like freaking out at three in the morning.
1: Yeah, it's almost like you have to For some folks, to a certain degree, you have to retrain that part of their circadian rhythm and just remind those adrenals, you know, you're supposed to be putting out a lot of cortisol in the morning and not so much at night. And yeah, sometimes
0: that can be a quick turnaround. Yes. Um, So eating real food, hydrating, walking weights, so movement, sweating, mindset, I think meditation is Mm -hmm. And when I say meditation, you guys, you don't have to sit there and oh, for, you know, 20 minutes straight with a perfectly clear mind. To me, it's mindfulness, it's mindset, it's believing that you're going to heal. Mm -hmm. And I say this, I want to cry when I like I say this from the heart, like, you have to believe you're going to heal. It's, it sucks. I have been there. It sucks. I remember being 19 and sitting at my parents' house crying and crying and like uncontrollably crying because I couldn't stop because the cytomegalovirus had inflamed my brain so much. I couldn't eat. I couldn't see straight to read. So I couldn't do anything. I'm normally, I love to read to like self-soothe. I could not self-soothe. Um, I couldn't sleep and I remember just crying and crying and at one point I had to sit down and decide I'm either going to get better or I'm going to die.
1: I'm mm-hmm. either going to
0: live like this and probably kill myself or I'm going to get better. And I have had to have that talk with myself a few times over and I know you've had your health struggles too. I'm sure you've been there. Mm-hmm. There is a moment where you're like I believe I'm going to get better and so what am yep. what am I going to do right now? I'm going to take action. And that action usually for me is a walk where I meditate. So I meditate on my walks. I meditate during my deadlifts, but I take some kind of action to spark some energy inside of me to get some clarity. Um, It often involves petting my dog at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, of course. But just knowing like it's literally one foot in front of the other. Like I just have to get up from whatever this moment is and believe that I'm going to heal. And it can take a long time, you guys. Or it might take just a few months, but really believing and having that mindset and mindfulness around it and then mm-hmm. using your meditation time on inducing a healing energy around you. I think of um, I think of the midichlorians from Star Wars, which are really, I think, their way of talking about mitochondria. But I think of taking all my mitochondria and turning them gold and getting them to start buzzing and gold And then that gold energy emits from the mitochondria out through each one of my cells. And then all my cells are buzzing in gold. And then I get that aura to emit from me. And if I can get it outside of my body, at that point, I sit with that for a moment and I maintain that energy. And then I come out of my meditation. And I usually do this in the sauna or during exercise. Mm But I know we all have our own ways to do it. I'd like to hear yours. I just think that that process has been one of the most healing beneficial things that I can possibly think mm-hmm. of. And that's free. Yeah, it is. And I like to use, um, you know, I
1: don't know if hypnotherapy or guided meditation is the way to go through it, but where you kind of, you know, you walk through and it doesn't have to take forever. I think people too, they think it's, oh, I have to meditate for an hour every day. It's like, no, no, five, 10 minutes, you're good. Um, but, you know, walking through a certain step, certain set of a certain visualization um, can be huge and i think that i mean you and i know that our bodies are designed to heal right and and we can help facilitate that with this stuff in a, you know that's in our skull and it's so it's such an empowering thing to know that our bodies are designed to heal and that we can take some action around that but i think people are so disempowered around their health that they just don't don't believe they can right and so seeing a patient it's part of my job to try to to reinstill that that faith. And it's not even faith, it's the reality. But patients will say, Oh, thank you so much. I feel so much better. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> you did all the hard work. You changed your diet, you exercised, you did all of these things. You know, I just, you know, I did some work, but that you know, they have to dig in and take the action and
0: do the hard work. I agree. And it's little things. Every day I sit with myself and I yeah. ask what did I choose to put in my mouth today? Yesterday, Mm -hmm. I realized I got through the whole day and I hadn't eaten any protein whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) Which I is atrocious, right? Um, I wasn't feeling it. I was having a stressful day. And I was working really hard to keep that stress state down. I'd gotten some bad news. And I, um, I was really drawn towards fruit. So I had some fruit yesterday. And I knew today I'd get back on the horse. I asked myself every day, did I walk did I walk? <laughs> did, did I, did yeah. I walk today? Cause there'll be days where like I'm, I'm just like working all day and I hardly walk, right? Or I, I didn't do much yeah. around the house. I just literally was like stuck to my computer all day. So I asked myself, did I walk? I asked my, and I try to check in in the later afternoon. So I still have time to remedy a few of these things and at least get a little something in. Um, yesterday I, I didn't get much walking in. I got I got two short walks. out. So I got outside. I'm going to go when we get off this podcast for another one. I asked myself every day, did I sweat? And now I don't have to sweat mm-hmm. every day. But when I'm really in a bad place, I do have to sweat every day. Um, I check in to make sure I lifted a couple times a week. And I do really try hard to keep focus uh, or attention, I should say, on my thoughts. Did I let worrying or pathologic, illness inducing Mm -hmm. thoughts into my head? And am I working to break those thought processes, you know, so it's, it's an act. Anyway, the point is, I mean, I know we all have our different ways. But did I and you know, did I have some mindfulness time today? Did I take a few minutes? And I'm again, I might combo that with something else like the sauna or the walking or the whatever. But I have to actively check in with myself every single day, and ask myself, did you take care of Tina today? Did you take care of your meat suit? Right? Yeah, yeah. And and spend some time Definitely. on a few, even if it's a few affirmations, there's different apps, there's different places to find affirmations, just Google affirmations mm-hmm. and look them up. But just having some positive mindset and tension for a second, yeah. some breathing exercises, whatever it is, I know it sounds overwhelming. But our point with this is before we close is all the things we tell you to do to stay healthy are exactly the same things you need to double down on even more so if you're experiencing some kind of post viral syndrome, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it doesn't have to be. I mean, and people I I mean, don't get me wrong. I do hit people with IVs and meds and stuff and supplements, but you know, you still have to do those simple foundational things or you you know otherwise you're just trying to slap a bandaid on a hemorrhaging wound you know and that's kind of what um, I mean that's that's where functional medicine and naturopathic medicine shine over conventional medicine we you know <laughs> we're advocating to do those foundational things
0: yes and to again clarify we are not treating a condition you guys we're treating a person so everything right. we've shared here is to treat a person where mm-hmm. we are treating the individual in front of us. We're not treating a pathology. So I don't care what virus caused the symptom picture. I'm not even treating the symptom picture. I might do something to make those, that, those things more comfortable. I'm interested in treating the individual overall holistically as an entity, mind, body, and spirit um, over like viral loads. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, I know. It, yeah. People, especially when we, so a lot of times with, with my long haulers will uncover an old infection that's ramped up. I see Epstein-Barr a lot in my long haulers when they, especially when they have fatigue and muscle pain and stuff like that. And they always want to check their viral titers. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, but how are you feeling? Because yes, we found this infection and your, your titers are going to go up and down to a certain degree but as long as you're better as you're as long as you as a whole person are feeling better we don't have to track it so so
0: precisely you know there's there, there's still art to medicine you know yes yes i think of it like a body of water if you have a body of water that becomes stagnant because it's become blocked the first thing you're going to find is that you're going to have overgrowth of some things that are not necessarily healthy and usually some mm-hmm. kind of plant life or m- microbial something. And you're going to have a die off of the wildlife that lives in and near that water because the water is starting to get like a cesspool basically, right? Yeah. And what is the first thing you have to do when you're trying I, – I, my before, before medicine – I wanted to be a marine biologist so I have studied water systems and one of the first things you have to do, you don't just throw a bunch of bleach in there to kill off the bacteria because you'll kill everything, right? We're not fighting the organisms that are there. We're trying to reestablish homeostasis of that water system. And so we need to figure out where it's blocked. We need to figure out uh, how to get movement in the water. The water moving is going to keep it from being a cesspool, right? So we have to, we might have to clear away some of like right now we have a little creek down on our property and one part of it is really getting mucky and all the weeds are growing up. So I'm like, we got to clear out those weeds probably get some of that out of there so the water can move more freely. So it Mm -hmm. quits being so mucky and gross because we do have a mosquito problem, but you don't just keep poisoning the mosquitoes. The, the bug, the fish eat the mosquitoes. <laughs> we It's the right. ecosystem, right? And our bodies are, are no different. And so all of these little things are important. And I, I, I don't, I'm not an expert on all of this, but you get the drift, right? We don't want a stagnant, yeah. mucky, murky pond. Oh, we need sunlight mm-hmm. on it. Absolutely. You know, you do the things to reestablish the ecosystem, but not too much sunlight, right? Like, if these are, I, let's add that to yeah. our list. I think. I know, right? God, <laughs> that's probably one of the best things you can do when you are currently sick and post sick, and to avoid getting sick is to get adequate sunlight every day.
1: Yes. And I do. I mean, I regularly recommend this to patients, whether they're long haulers or not. You know, before 9 a.m., I need you to be in the sun for 10 minutes. Nice. Because people are inside all day, I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get much sun today either, um, just because I'm at work. But getting getting in the sun is so important. Oh yeah, for and so many
0: reasons. Not,
1: yeah, not always slathering stuff all over your skin because you're afraid of it. Well,
0: if you don't eat seed oils, you don't burn, and we've known that for a long, long time. So, yeah, you yeah. know, a lot of people's sensitivity to sunlight has a lot to do with their crappy diets. But we won't get into that now. That's another episode. <laughs> okay, Amber. Well, I love you. Can you please tell everybody where to find you? Yes. Um, my medical practice
1: is Aspen Integrative Medical Center. And you can find that at aspenmedcenter.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Dr. Belt Sander. Um, Belt Sander is my roller derby name. So, Tina helped me come up with this, so my, my Instagram handles Dr. Belt Sanders. I love it um, yeah, me too, and then I have another company, um, Sage Serona, um, and we sell natural first aid kits, and that 's just sageserona.com.
0: and i 'll make sure to put all the links in the show notes as well awesome. and all your Instagram links because I love your Instagram. Oh, thank Amber you. gets to say the things that we all want to say, and somehow she flies under the radar of it all and gets <laughs> to say it. But you, I think it's because you're so crafty with the way you say it. You make really nice points without being inflammatory. I can be a little inflammatory. I, I kind of open my mouth. You, you, you think through things a bit more. <laughs> it's that it's. I was an English major in college. Uh, I think <laughs> it's all that writing. Maybe. I well, don't you're know. also a very kind. person. i I'm a kind person too, but sometimes I like you I like are. to stir the pot. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. You're more of a diplomat. Anyway, I love you, lady. So great to share your brain with us today and give us all of this information. And I hope it was helpful to the listeners. And I hope everybody goes and follows you on Instagram. Yay, that would be great. Yes. Thank you for coming on. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to The Dr. Tina Show. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at drtina, that's D-R-T-Y-N-A, and drtina2.0, as well as visit my website at drtina.com. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and mixed by Chris McCone. The theme song is by John the Guilt. As always, you can email the show at podcast at drtina.com. And if you like this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. See you next week.